Mary Magdalene, Jesus appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And initially, they didn't recognize him, remember? He walked along with them, and they walked and talked. And as they walked and talked, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus began to open up the Scriptures to them, the Old Testament. And little by little, they came to understand how Jesus was the point and the fulfillment of all that was written beforehand. So that Jesus was not less than Moses, but he was the greater Moses who came to deliver into the perfect and greater promised land. That Jesus was not less than David, he was the greater David who came to establish an eternal kingdom into which all, regardless of their nationality or of their background or where they were born or what they were part of, could all participate in and all enter into by faith. And wherever you look in your Old Testament, if you have eyes to see, you can see Jesus. And as they began to understand this, they began to realize that the person who is talking to them actually is Jesus, the one who is describing how he is the fulfillment of all these things. And so in the in the same vein here, what I want to do is spend the next few minutes playing the role of Jesus on the Emmaus Road with you and open up the scriptures to a specific portion of them and read them with eyes to see how Jesus is his true fulfillment. So if you have your Bible, um, I'd like you to go with me to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible this morning, that is no problem. We have Bibles available. Uh, there are a stack of them there on that table by the door, and just grab one. And if you want, if you don't have a Bible at home, take it home with you. Uh, and we'll love to, we would love to give that to you as a gift, put God's Word in your hand. But if you uh, have your Bible uh, already, go ahead to uh, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus is the second book in your Old Testament. It goes Genesis and then Exodus. And you're going to find chapter 12 and beginning in verse 21. And this is... Uh, God's instructions to Moses and the people of Israel on, at the night of the very first Passover, which incident, not incidentally happens at this time of year. Okay? So let's read together, beginning in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of all of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, 
and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Now, this passage is part of a longer passage of God's institution of the Passover feast uh, in his in God's instructions to Moses. Passover takes place on Friday. And for the week prior to the feast, a lamb is taken into the house and is examined. And you are to take a perfect male lamb, a year old, uh, to make sure that there is no spot, no blemish, no disease, nothing wrong with this at all, but it is the best of what you have available. And you're to take it into your house and it's to live with you like a pet. Now, those of you who have children, what would happen if you take lambs are cute? They're cuddly. They're fuzzy. Take it into your house and it lives with you in your house as a pet. And then on Friday... In the afternoon, you're to take that lamb, if you're the male head of the household, you're to take that lamb out into the yard and take a knife and cut its throat and collect the blood. Those of you who have children, especially young children, what are your kids going to say? My kids are going to say, Daddy, what are you doing? What are you doing? And you know what I'm going to say if I'm an Israelite at this time? I'm going to say, you don't understand. It's him or it's us. Because on Friday night, God is going to go through the land of Egypt. And if we don't take the blood of this lamb and put it on the sides of the door here with this this weed, this hyssop plant, and put it on the top of the door, then God the destroying is going to send the destroying angel at any house not marked with blood. The firstborn son of every house is going to die. The tenth plague is coming. Remember, we've seen all these nine plagues up to now, son, and how they fell on the Egyptians but not on us. Well, this is going to be the worst one because the destroyer is coming. Tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. In any house where there was no blood from the sacrificed lamb spread on the doorposts is going to lose its firstborn son. Even the firstborn among the livestock is going to die in all the houses not covered by the blood of the lamb. And the people were instructed to celebrate the Passover year after year so they could remember how God delivered them from slavery and how he protected them through, from death through the blood of the lamb. And that night, people ate the Passover feast. The lambs were slain. The blood was spread on the doorposts and on the lentils. And they ate the lamb with unleavened bread because God's deliverance was not going to be slow. It was going to come fast. And so you were not going to have time to allow your bread to rise before you baked it. And every house covered by the blood of the lamb, even the houses, by the way, of the Egyptians who saw what the Israelites did, and celebrated the Passover right along with them. They were all protected by that blood. But in those that were not, even the household of Pharaoh, even in Pharaoh's palace, 
even Pharaoh's family. The death angel struck down the firstborn son of all of them, including even the firstborn of the livestock. And the whole nation of Egypt is filled with weeping. There's not a house from the lowest slave all the way up to Pharaoh where there is not a son who is dead. But among those who put their trust in the blood of the lamb, there was no death. And among them, there was no weeping except tears of joy as they were released from captivity because Pharaoh's power over them was finally broken by the power of God. If you read your Bible and up to this point, you would see that Pharaoh and God have squared off because Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, the Lord has met with us and he has told us to go out into the desert, all of us with all of our flocks and herds and families, go out into the desert and celebrate to him and worship him. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should allow you to do this? Because Pharaoh was regarded and thought of himself as a living God, the embodiment of the sun god Ra. And so the ninth And the tenth plague are specifically directed both at the sun god as well as at Pharaoh himself. The ninth plague is the plague of darkness where the sun did not shine. And the tenth plague is directed directly at Pharaoh but also at all who follow him. That though he is regarded as the firstborn of a god, his firstborn is going to die because he refused to worship the true god. And it's a great story. It's one that's told by pious Jews over and over every year about this time. But it's not the greatest of stories. It's a great story. It's just not the greatest of stories. For that, you've got to go over to the New Testament and see how Jesus is indeed this story's fulfillment, how he is the true Passover lamb to which the original story from Exodus points. And so, again, if you have your Bible, I want you to go one other place over to the Gospel of John. Chapter 19, I want you to see this. To get to your New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John is the one we're going to be in. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic, is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for in the, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews. But rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. 
And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross, on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and, and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with the spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth, that you may also that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. And Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen strips with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by himself, by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. 
But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood to stoop to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? He said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, John is very careful to point out that Jesus is crucified on preparation day. In other words, this is Friday afternoon. Uh, Jews began their their days at the beginning of each evening following the creation pattern that's given in Genesis chapter 1. If you read it there, it says there was evening and then there was morning the first day, and evening and morning and the second day, and there was evening and morning the first day. And so Jews followed that pattern in, a, in a, assigning their own calendar and their own accounting of beginning of each day. And so the Feast of Passover is officially going to begin on Friday night. That was viewed as the beginning of the Sabbath. But the day before, Friday, is preparation day. And that's the day that you would lead your lamb off to the temple to be slaughtered for the Passover. And in fact, Jesus is taken to be crucified at about the same time that lambs would be led to the temple for the slaughter. And he had been in Jerusalem for the entire previous week. And he had been examined for the entire previous week by the religious leaders of various groups. He had been examined by the Roman governor. He had been examined by Herod. He had been examined by all kinds of different people, including the people of the entire nation who have assembled there for worship. And they've all gotten a chance to look over Jesus and see if there's any fault within him. And no one finds any. He's been found, just like the Passover lamb, to be without spot, without any blemish. No one found any basis for any charge against him. And yet, just like the Passover lamb, Jesus is taken and slaughtered. His blood pours forth as they mock him, as they abuse him, as they crown him with thorns, as they crucify him, and finally spear him. And yet, as John is careful to point out, not one of Jesus' bones are broken. Why? Well, it happened in fulfillment of prophecy, and that's important to note. But, you know, the bigger reason? Because God in His instructions in Exodus 12, if you read back earlier in that chapter than we read, 
what you'll see is that none of the bones of the Passover lamb are to be broken. Because Jesus is the true Passover lamb, none of his bones could be broken either. Jesus, the true lamb of God, the true Passover lamb, suffered horribly and died, but did so without a broken bone. In fulfillment of prophecy, in fulfillment of all that the Passover lamb was supposed to be. And all these things from the division of Jesus' clothing to the specific manner and details of his death, they all happen in fulfillment of prophecy because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament's expectations and prophecies. And in his death, he fulfilled many of these things. But the other half of the story, the part we're celebrating today, is what happened that first Easter Sunday. Back 2,000 years ago, Jesus' body had been claimed by Nicodemus and by Joseph of Arimathea and had been wrapped in a shroud and covered in spices and laid in Joseph's very own tomb. And even in the way that that was done, that was done in fulfillment of prophecy, that Jesus would die numbered with the criminals. He hung between two criminals, one on each side. And so just as the psalmist wrote, that he, was, that he was counted among the criminals and then was buried with the rich, that's what happened. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. He had a new tomb. And Jesus was laid in a rich man's tomb in fulfillment of the Old Testament. But when Sunday came, the body was not there. This, too, was in fulfillment of prophecy that you will not abandon your Holy One to the grave or let Him see decay. Jesus said that His death would be like Jonah. Just like Jonah was three days in the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the earth. Three days later, Jesus' body was gone. And people who followed Him, particularly the women, the women are the first ones to be at the tomb. They come early on Sunday morning to tend to the body of their Lord. If the Sabbath was coming, it was a high holy day, they couldn't get there earlier, so they came early on Sunday morning while it was still dark. But when they went, they didn't find Him there. And they knew where they were going. They had been there when Jesus was buried. So it wasn't like they got lost And so they went and they got Peter and John. And Peter and John have a foot race, which John wins. But Peter, being more exer- ex- the more exuberant of the two, he doesn't stoop at the side and kind of look in. Peter runs in <laughs> to see. The tomb is empty. And they're in shock and disbelief, but also belief. Just like Jesus said, his body would be gone. It's gone. But surely that can't be right. Dead men don't get up out of the grave. And we saw him die. We know he's dead. And yet he's not here. Where did he go? Mary hangs around the tomb. And she's crying. 
And she's asking people whenever she sees them, where's the Lord? She sees angels and they say, why are you crying? She says, because they've taken the body of my Lord and I don't know where he is. And then she turns and I just imagine this scene. You just imagine this tears running down her face. She is heaving, racked with sobs. She can't even recognize Jesus when he's standing right in front of her. And he says, woman, why are you weeping? And she says, don't you understand? They've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. And if you've taken him somewhere, tell me where you put him. I'll take him away from here. And then he says her name. Mary. All of a sudden. All the pieces fit. And though she still can't see through wall of tears, she realizes who it is. That is Jesus who is standing there speaking to her. Can you just imagine what that must be like? You have watched this man whom you followed, whom you have invested your life savings in. You've you've followed and supported and watched and you've seen him do incredible miracles all over the entire nation. And you've watched him slaughtered like an animal by the side of the road. Spit on, crowned with thorns, speared, mocked, had people tell him, Hey, you think you're big stuff? Come down off the cross and we'll believe in you. Then at the last, they take, a, take what amounts to a toilet cleaning brush. What you would use to wipe yourself, a stick and some sour, some sour wine, and they shove it in his mouth. You have watched your Lord degraded and abused and killed, though he was completely innocent. And then he stands alive in front of you. Can you imagine? She does what is natural. She grabs him and says, Rabboni, my teacher, my Lord. And Jesus says, go tell the disciples what you've seen. Tell them I'm alive. Tell him, tell him that I'm going to the Father. But I'm not dead. And she didn't know how. And she didn't know why. But she knew this for sure. That Jesus was alive. And she had to go tell the disciples. She had to run and tell them. And you know what? I think it's just like that. Or at least it ought to be for every person who really meets the resurrected Savior, the risen King, Jesus Christ. When we meet Him, we ought not be able to keep ourselves from talking about Him and what He has done for us. Because Jesus isn't simply the fulfillment of some dusty prophecies from some old books written a long time ago. He's the King. And He's alive. 
He's the true Passover lamb. He's the one about which the original feast was only a shadow and it only pointed. It was the shadow and he's the reality that has come into view. The blood of the Passover lamb was put on the sides and on the top of the door for the specific reason it would form a bloody cross. That would mark the spots where the true Passover lamb would bleed and die. So out of the spot at his head, there was a bloody spot on the door. And out of where blood would flow from his hands, there was a bloody spot on the door. And as blood ran down as it will from the top of the door, there was a pool of blood in the doorway. Just like there would be at his feet. And with the thrust of the spear, blood would have flowed from Jesus just like it flowed from the slaughtered lamb. But even more significant, when you put your trust in the true lamb, in Jesus Christ, the death angel won't simply pass over you and your house for a night. It'll pass over you for all eternity. Amen? Because the blood of the true Lamb, Jesus Christ, covers your life. And it has come to set you free from the pharaohs of sin and death and hell. And we know, today of all days, we know that we have freedom and release because of the Lamb, who unlike all of the ones who were slaughtered, From Moses' day down to the destruction of the temple, this lamb did not remain slaughtered. He rose from the dead, and he was the victor not only over death, but over sin and over hell as well. And unlike in the days of Moses, when the death angel killed all the firstborn of all those who did not believe, you know what happened here? God slew his firstborn so that all of us could live. John says earlier in his gospel in chapter 3, he records Jesus' words. God so loved the world that he sent his what? His one and only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. This is what Easter is all about. It's about the triumph of God over sin and death and hell for you and for me. It's about having your life covered by the blood of the Lamb. It is about the certain hope that we have. That because we are covered by the blood of the Lamb, that our sin is not only covered, and we can say, I am forgiven. But it's also about the victory of Jesus Christ over death and the certain hope that we have that we too can shout with him, where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? Because I don't know about you, but I am not going to die. Oh, yeah, there will be a day when my heart stops beating and my brain waves quit floating. But you know what? One instant after that, I will be more alive than I have ever been in my life. And so will you if you believe in Jesus Christ. Because your sins are covered and the death angel passes over you for all eternity. 
And you are alive in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has triumphed over sin and over death and over hell. He is the victor. And we get to participate and share in the eternal life that He offers. And He came to set us free from slavery. Just like the Israelites were enslaved to Pharaoh, you are, a lot of you, enslaved to sin, and you are on your way to death. But you know what? Through the blood of the Lamb, you can have forgiveness of sin. You can be released from slavery. If you are a believer, you may have decided you want to go back to Egypt and live under slavery again. But you know what? You can still have release today. Simply by going to the Lord and saying, I've gotten enslaved again. I don't want to live under the oppressing, crushing weight of sin. I want to find freedom again. And you can find it through the Savior who sets you free. So the question today at Easter is whether or not you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, through whose death and resurrection God will pass over your sin and not give you the death that you deserve. So let me ask you, have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you allowed the blood of the Lamb, the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, to take away your sin, and to enter into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you done that? If not, today is the day. Amen? Today is the day. Have your sin covered. Have your debt paid. Have your life begin again in Jesus Christ. And because we have a great Savior, those of us who have received Him, just like Mary, have a great message to proclaim. We can go forth into the world and proclaim He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. The victor over the dark domain and He lives forever with His saints, you and me, to reign. Because one day, this world will disappear. Peter says it this way. He says, The elements will melt with intense heat, and the heavens will disappear with a roar. Boom! And it will all be gone. And you know what will happen then? The new heavens and the new earth will be created. And we will reign with Jesus, the resurrected Savior, in resurrected bodies. And we will stand in the presence of God for eternity, enjoying the life for which God has made us. We have a great message to announce to the world. And when you really meet the resurrected Jesus, here's what I've figured out. When you read your New Testament you realize it's populated by crazy people. They are. They're all nuts. Because they have met the resurrected Jesus, the only way you can shut them up is to kill them. And then they celebrate for one another because they've gone to their reward. But you can stone them. 
You can flog them. You can shipwreck them. You can put them under arrest. You can beat them until they're absolutely unconscious and leave them for dead. You can have it get so bad they have to go over the wall in a basket in the middle of the night. That's just a way of getting out of town to go to the next one. Talk about Jesus, the resurrected Savior. We have a great message about a great king who did the most amazing things that have ever been done. He conquered my sin and yours. He conquered death and stands victorious over it. And he gets us out of hell by paying for our sin. An amazing thing. And we have a lot to celebrate and a lot to proclaim. It's great about a great Savior who is alive today. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Though we cannot really even the scale, all we can do is praise you and thank you for Jesus Christ who came into the world to be the perfect Lamb of God who was slaughtered on my behalf and on behalf of all those who would come under his blood they might be passed over by the death angel. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never placed their trust in Jesus Christ, who's never allowed their his blood to cover their sin, who's never experienced the new life that Jesus Christ offers, Father, I pray they would admit they are a sinner who is deeply in need of salvation and place their trust in Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God who died without spot and without blemish but took on ours, that we might be given your righteousness and enter into your family and enter into the true promised land which yet awaits us. And Father, I pray that those of us who have understood that Jesus is indeed the true Passover lamb, Father, I pray that we would proclaim a great message about a great God who sent a great Savior to do unimaginable good for us. And Father, we worship you through your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Spirit, Amen.